Good morning, it is Money Talk, it's 17 minutes past 8, this is James Ross, and let's move to our discussion, and welcome to the show as normal on a Friday, Andrew uh, Ferris, CEO at Ecognosis Advisory. Uh, good morning, Andrew. Good morning, James. And let's say hello and good morning also to Hebe Chen, uh, Market Analyst at IG. Good morning, Hebe. Can we hear Hebe? I don't think we can. I think she might be on mute at the moment. You might need to unmute uh, uh, Hebe. Uh, Andrew, let's get... Let's, oh, there you are. Lovely. Okay. Morning, James. Come here, Andrew. Welcome to the show. Um, let's kick off with what's been going on this week. Um, first of all, Andrew, what do you feel about the uh, Fitch downgrade of the US uh, this week? Uh, was that... Uh, it was sort of um, unexpected, wasn't it? Well, actually, let me jump directly in what I consider to be a lamentable, not the downgrade, that I couldn't give at all. I couldn't give a hoot about it. But for Fitch to use the ratio of debt to GDP, it is disgraceful. I was a professor of economics for 22 years, and I will fail collectively, Fitch, on their 101 economics. They are dividing apples with bananas. The debt is a concept with no time dimension, whereas GDP is per month or per year or per quarter. It has a time dimension. So you can't divide one with the other and come to any conclusion whatsoever. So these things that you're saying are unrelated, Andrew. That's what you're saying, yeah? Absolutely. No, they are related. They They are completely irrelevant to each other. I mean, it's like saying that uh, I have an income of 100 and I have a debt of 1,000 and uh, the debt is uh, 10 times my income. What does it mean? What is essential to say and, of course, completely fails whatever Fitch was put in, and this is easily available, is the amount of money that the United States spends as a percent of GDP to service its debt. Take a deep breath. Do you know how much it is? well less than 2%, and of course it has been falling over the period of falling interest rates. Hi. Completely different. Hibi, let's come to you. Do you have a view on uh, this Fitch downgrade? What, what are your thoughts there? Well, I think, yeah, back to what you said, I think it's definitely sort of not expected, but in terms of the impact-wise, I personally do agree with what you quote at the early of the show that Warren Buffett said it's not like a big concern in terms of short-termly because that that's definitely not getting people to go away from the U.S. stocks, selling all their U.S. dollars. That's not going to happen, but... Um, I think what is mostly more concern for the market is deep down what sort of the as what Andrew just said, what sort of the key reasons that they're trying to make the move. And does it really showing or suggesting we do have a sort of the mess in the credit in the debt for the US economy and what sort of the ramification after that? And I think that's a deep concern the market does have and you do see the market still start to feel a bit worried. And it's just also coming in a quite extremely sensitive timing that the aftermarket been enjoying such a rosy uptrend this year. Is it sound, looks like a too good to be true? Is it something that we should be worried? I think those sort of the discussion that we were sparked and triggered by this downgrade. Uh, somehow, Hibi, we're all, already in the second half of this year. I'm not quite sure how it happened. What, what's, your, what's your outlook for the rest of the year for the U.S.? Do you, do, you, do you see things improving? Is it going to go to recession? 
Um, yeah, that's a that's a that's a question I've been asking myself every day, honestly. Well, I think the market's been it's been getting so quite lofty now. The Nasdaq has been about thirty five percent up, and the SP five hundred about twenty. But um, I think, especially based on the earnings we've seen for this quarter, it's showing quite a mixed picture for that. For example, taking the Apple and Amazon today, it's, it is a mixed picture. We've seen quite a robust picture from Amazon showing that they potentially have been more upside for that. But for the Apple. The question is that in, they've been share price been up about fifty percent this year, and that report today will let the pull for the more uptrend layer. And I think it will come into sort of the individual stock by stock scenario that we're looking for the market rally so far this year. Despite everything, Andrew, um, Apple's fortunes around the iPhone in in China seems to be doing uh, quite well at the moment. Is is that any indication of how the market's going in China? Are we uh, are we positive about China at the moment? Uh, if I was to look at the macro uh, individual indexes, okay, it looks something like out of the Tibetan Book of the Dead. In other words, it looks it looks bad. Actually, I'll correct myself. It doesn't look bad. It looks flat and uninspiring. Okay, mm. I don't want to joke about this, and perhaps it was a, an unfortunate expression. But okay, uh, the economy is a large economy, and people tend to forget that for something to grow five percent, when it is the second biggest economy in the world, it takes a hell of a lot of individual components to be growing and growing very fast. And of course, consumption in China has been relatively weak. Uh, the export sector, which in general, I'll repeat that, contributes very, very little to China's GDP growth. China is not an economy which is driven by exports. It's an economy which is driven by investment and by consumption. And therefore, when I look at China, it is actually flat and uninspiring rather than worrying. I think we'll make a a note of that quote, flat and uninspiring, Andrew, and uh, come back to that later in the year uh, for you. Um, Hibi, you have thoughts on on China's uh, prospects at the moment? Well, yes, I I kind of agree with Andrew. I think that I do feel the determination the Chinese government trying to support their growth. And I do feel that they're trying very keen and eager to present all this policy support but on the other hand, I do still have a question in my mind is how effectiveness of all these policies and whether or not can really store the confidence in the consumer sector as well as the property sector. I think that's two of the main issues underlying the Chinese economy growth. That's one thing. And moving that back to what you're saying about the Chinese economy and the Apple, I think what we see that it does help the Apple company that Apple to boost up their sales, for example, for iPhone. But we don't forget that they also helped the iPad sales increase largely last quarter, but it failed again this quarter. So whether or not it's just sort of a temporary things that that we could expect from the Chinese economy as well as like, like what Apple's um, ending shows. Obviously, the state of interest rates in Asia uh, continues to be completely different from the Western world. And, you know, we're seeing uh, the Bank of England raising the UK interest rates for the 14th time uh, overnight tonight. And we've seen some similar things happening with uh, the RBA, Royal Bank of Australia as well. Um, What are your prospects, would you say, uh, Hibby, for um, the the continuance of uh, that interest rate upward curve, if you like? Yeah, it's actually quite interesting week that we're having the RBA and Bank of England. They are the two, Australia, I'm not proud of that, but we are the two countries now with still with like top 6% of inflation rate. Um, for my projection, I think that they both of them, they definitely haven't done their job yet. 
which we can based on the timeline, the RBA expect we need another two years until the inflation is back into the target range of two to three percent. Bank of England is taking a similar time, but they thought one or two quarters ahead of us. So if that's the case, that more likely from what I can see now that will at least another one time of rate rise, another 25 basis point for Australia, probably another two or three, probably for the Bank of England, the expectations that they will reach another, they need another 50 basis point by, by the end of this year and potentially another time in the 2024. So I think that's what the picture is showing to us based on the inflation, based on how hawkish they are. Andrew, I know you follow interest rates day by day, hour by hour. <laughs> what are your thoughts? Which which direction are we headed? I'm actually, I love Asia because it gives such a huge lie to the obsessive ethnocentric concern of everybody about interest rates are increasing. Yeah, in the United States, yes, in the European Union. Actually, interest rates in Japan not only are still negative, okay, not only the Japanese government says we're not moving, and they maintain effectively negative interest rates in one part of the yield curve, and the official rate is actually negative. And of course, then you have Hong Kong, where the thing is surreal. Hong Kong interest rates are increasing, whereas interest rates, whereas inflation is effectively zero. Yes, it is the peg. And of course, in China, there has been repeated very small cut in interest rates and loosening up of monetary policy. So when somebody says that we are in a period of rising interest rates, I would say not so in most of the important chunks of Asia. South Korea has uh, risen interest rates, Philippines has risen interest rates, Thailand has risen interest rates. Oh, and I'm in the happy position of telling I'm an economist, tell me, ask me a question, and I'll give you a completely different answer each time. Okay. <laughs> and we can rely on you for that, uh, Andrew, absolutely. <laughs> And I'm telling you the truth, eh? <laughs> no, for sure, for sure. In terms of your investment outlooks at the moment, um, generally, you know, the particular sectors, Andrew, that you're looking at? I'm looking at three sectors. You know, I'm obsessed with long COVID. Uh, the markets yeah. have completely ignored an enormously dangerous and progressive and insidious part of the end of the actual COVID pandemic. And uh, I'm looking very closely, but I have to be very careful here because of compliance reasons, at pharma companies that will be providing palliatives for something that is going to stay for us for many, many years. Mm. Secondly, I love defense stocks right across the world because spending on defense has increased like a war, like a tsunami following the uh, uh, Ukrainian war. And uh, the third point, again, I'm looking at anything that has to do with climate, and this time, not of avoiding the warming, but of ameliorating the cooling of countries. This has been completely forgotten. And uh, the summer gave us a sharp reminder that climate not only gets very cold, also it gets incredibly hot. And this has nothing to do with the heating of the planet. It has to do the heating of the planet causes very significant, very strange climatic effects, including very cold winters and very hot summers. And there is a lot of money to be made on that area. And three Fra things, climate, climate, long COVID and defence. We'll keep an eye on them. Andrew Ferris uh, is CEO at Ecognosis Advisory. Thank you, Andrew, for joining us. And thank you to Hibby Chen, uh, market analyst at 